0: 400 CE somewhere in the Pacific a fleet of ancient mariners battled towering waves in an open expanse of water that they had never seen before venturing into the abyss it had been well over a thousand years since the last voyages had set out in massive canoes charting islands of the Pacific before eventually landing on the islands of Hawaii, a place that, unlike anywhere else, exuded an immense power brewing beneath the surface. These early settlers would bring with them ancient traditions, gods, and black magic to the islands of Hawaii, ancient practices that continued for centuries, and possibly even to this day. The islands now are best known as tourist hotspots, most people being blissfully unaware of the otherworldly powers governing the landscape around them, while some have encounters and experiences that are difficult to explain. From sentient fireballs emerging from volcanoes and chasing people and cars, to encounters with the goddess Pele, and even an ancient curse. The tropical jungles of Hawaii hold more secrets than one might expect. And this week, we go searching for answers. Only on Into the Portal. Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay.
1: And you're listening to Into the Portal, your gateway to the bizarre. On this week's episode, we're taking you to the remote Pacific for a look at some bizarre Hawaiian legends and phenomena that defies explanation. We're talking deaths, curses, fireballs, and much more today. Mm-hmm so let's get started with a little background on hawaii Uh, we all know hawaii is a dynamic volcanic island chain that continues to grow and expand today with four active volcanoes including two of the world's most active kilauea and mauna loa
0: nice job thank you
1: thank you and both of these can be found on the big island of hawaii the volcanoes of Hawaii are known as shield volcanoes. Uh, they produce lava flows that form gently sloping, shield-like mountains. Yeah. And it really gives them a majestic contrast to the lush landscape of the tropical flora surrounding them.
0: It's a stark, like, oh man, it's just so gorgeous.
1: Like, yeah, they just kind of rise up like these, uh, These they, they have a very godly presence to them oh just yes. because of that. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. So today we are getting into the heart of... Of the big island of Hawaii, where Volcanoes National Park exists, and you can find two active volcanoes. Like I already mentioned. Yeah. And this park is believed by many to be a place of otherworldliness, high strangeness. It's a visceral, formidable landscape formed by cinder. And this is what many believe to be the epicenter of strange phenomena that permeates all the islands of Hawaii. Yeah, From curses to incredibly bizarre encounters with entities that defy explanation. There seem to be some ancient forces at work here, sometimes even leading to death.
0: Yes, indeed. And this is, uh, like Amber said, this is phenomena that, that kind of takes place across the islands but in many many ways the epicenter is Volcanoes National Park on the Big Island and we're going to be talking some other history and stuff here because the Big Island seems to be, be the first landing spot of the earliest ancient Hawaiians as well so it sort of makes sense that this would be the focal point for of some of these possible ancient powers at work on the island so we're going to kick things off with just that Sometimes leading to death, these powers and these strange encounters. In November of the year 2000, there were two bodies discovered on the Big Island. A park ranger by the name of Travis Heggie was on a routine patrol when he got a call about something extremely disturbing that he needed to check out. Interestingly, this guy's official title was the eruption duty ranger. What a job! So he's basically driving around making sure things aren't getting too out of hand as far mm. as uh, the uh, the active volcanoes are going at yeah. the park.
1: And if we weren't talking about Volcanoes National Park, I would have a whole slew of jokes to go <laughs> along with
0: that. I'm sure there's. I'm <laughs> sure he still gets those jokes. No, no kidding. So this guy Travis Heggy, he was out on this routine patrol. He gets a call about the possibility of two bodies being sighted out on one of the lava plains. There appeared to be a couple that was hiking near one of the ocean entries to this particular area. So it was a lava plain, but relatively close to the the water. There was a male and a female that had fallen victim to either someone or something out in this very flat and very easy-to-navigate area. The man had collapsed directly on the surface, while the woman had fallen down a very small ditch or crevice very close by, but no more than a few feet deep, something that you could easily step over. Both of them were severely burned, especially the female victim, but the strange part was that their clothing was completely undamaged. There were no burns on their shorts, shoes, you know, their tops, while their bodies were severely burned. Very strange, for sure. There seemed to be no immediate cause for their bodies to be burned. And in addition to this, there had been absolutely no volcanic activity in that area that day or in the time leading up to them being there. So the reports go. So the reports go. I mean, Hege being out there, you know, risk, risking life and limb, you'd think like maybe they wouldn't send him out there. on a, he, He's on a routine patrol, at least how the article reads, right? Mm-hmm. Again, what's really strange about this is that the area is very easy to traverse, so it's a spot that's very easy to escape if there was something dangerous happening. You know, it's wide open, you can see something coming, you could hear the rumbles coming, and that was a point that Hege made, that it was easy to traverse fairly flat, but you'd still need to be careful because, of course, these lava rocks are extremely sharp. But these victims weren't cut up, they weren't murdered, quote-unquote here, uh, but they were indeed severely burned.
1: Were they like boiled like lobsters?
0: <laughs> That's almost how it appeared. Like That's the guy, on. when this guy described it, the eruption duty ranger, he initially thought it was a crime scene, but then looking at it was like, yeah, like essentially, yeah, they were basically cooked <laughs> without any damage to their clothing. This was featured on uh, one particular television series uh, focusing on mysteries at various national parks. And they talked about this case, but there was no mention in that uh, about whether or not they were hiking out of bounds, quote unquote. And that reminds me so much of things we hear in British Columbia with you know, experienced skiers going out of bounds at a ski hill and disappearing or something like that, right?
1: Oh, of course, yeah. And you would think... Um Because there are a lot of hazards, right? When you enter into a landscape such as this and including, right, like uh, we haven't quite mentioned this yet, but the idea of like, you know, there could be, there are regular lava flows. There are ones that do appear like they're unstable, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then there also are volcanic gases that can erupt so there are potential things here but we're talking two victims
0: yeah and that's one of the strange things so it's like so let's just jump right to that because uh that sort of ties into the idea of they were out of bounds Mm. one of the theories as to how they got so burned but without uh their clothing being burned was steam Mm -hmm. that somehow they got basically steam blasted out on the lava plane well, hold on whether or not to, for a hot sec, whether or not it was directed steam by some sort of malevolent energy because they weren't supposed to be there or it was just wrong place, wrong time. But that was one of the sort of more likely, quote unquote, explanations as to what happened to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are your initial thoughts on that explanation? I think
1: that's quite interesting uh, just because of the described state of how they were found. I, we didn't get anything particular about the state of their hair. I'm no. curious about even their body hair. You know what I mean? Like what state that would have been? Cause that would have indicated whether we're talking like steam related Versus or something that lava uh,
0: or fire, fire or I
1: don't know, something like that. Or yeah. So th- this is very interesting. Or even uh radiation burns.
0: Po- Ooh. You know what I mean? Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, all of these ideas must've been just reeling through Hagee's head when he was looking at these bodies and he called mm-hmm. it, called it in. Right. And what he is essentially thinking and when he's writing this report is like there's either an accident that's taken place that was totally just the most like one in a billion chance and that the girl had collapsed a little bit further away than the male victim or perhaps that someone or something had transported them because there didn't seem to be an opening where steam would have come from or any reason for them to have been injured in that spot
1: okay so no immediate cause
0: no immediate cause
1: very mysterious
0: (laughs) Others point to a much more direct cause, the volcano itself, and no, not uh, an unfortunate accident with like lava smacking into them because that would have (laughs) burnt their clothes, right? If all of a sudden you turn around and there's a lava flow, but rather Mm -hmm. perhaps that there are spirits within the volcano or the landscape of the lava plain and they were a little bit ticked off about these tourists maybe uh, tromping all over where they weren't supposed to be.
1: Perhaps, or be engaging in behaviors that were deemed disrespectful. Exactly. Because that's going to be a main theme of this episode. Is Very the idea much. Of disrespecting so. the landscape.
0: And that disrespect, yes, is what can directly lead to I mean, it, it brings us to this question of whether or not there could be malevolent powers residing inside the landscape of Hawaii, not just the Big Island, but the, all of the islands in the chain, and concentrated in the massive active volcanoes at the national park. The ancient Hawaiians were rightfully so terrified of the power of these volcanoes. They worshipped and revered them, but they were also obviously terrified, especially mm-hmm. when there were eruptions in ancient times. Could you have imagined what that was like?
1: No, the the immensity of the power, right? and And just the fact that you're existing on these tiny little <laughs> islands in the middle of nowhere. Seriously. You're really at the mercy of the powers of these natural forces. So, I could definitely see how they would personify them, how they would be imbued with godly powers, really. And you see that all over the world with uh, oh, yeah. with the landscape. And I'm immediately thinking of that Bob Hope movie, Road to Bali. Oh, they yeah. That encounter on an island somewhere in the Pacific. And-
0: oh, totally. Or, or even uh, one of the, I remember way back in our Lost City of the Monkey Gods series with one of the images where it's like the pathway leading up to like the altar where there's like the giant oh, god yep. figure there or whatever mm-hmm. and revering the monkey god of the jungle. Mm-hmm. One of the things that the ancient Hawaiians did to appease these gods, to try to keep things in check on the islands, to avoid malevolent spirits or avoid negative things happening was, of course, ancient rituals of all different kinds. The Hawaiian people did indeed involve human sacrifice in their ancient rituals, very like many people across the world. And accounts tell of some of these sacrificial ceremonies being so massive that as people gathered to see the gods appeased, the actual flames and the drums and the noises could be heard and seen between the islands. So this event is happening, say, on the big island of Hawaii, and it can be seen from the next island and then to the next island and the next island.
1: Pretty cool. Across
0: the landscape, and that's just the, the power of these. So, like, imagine that for a second. I just chucked in the side note here. Like, you're an ancient explorer drifting by in a ship at, like, 400 CE, and we'll get to those more dates in a sec, and you see fires burning, you hear chants and maybe even screams. And I just think that's so cool.
1: Yeah, that is really, really cool.
0: And there are a whole bunch of sites today, too, that are designated for this so like there there're still remaining sacrificial altars where some of these ceremonies took place where these high priests known as kahunas uh, would perform these ceremonies but what they would do though which is really really interesting is they would keep their audiences back behind these uh, False walls that they would build, these walls of wood, while they could sort of hear parts of the ceremony and then see other parts where the people were really participating, like the kahunas. There was one uh, part of the ceremony where they would be right in front of the audience and almost jabbing at at their audience Mm -hmm. in some sort of like a... In a trance-like state, almost, hmm. um, are where, they trying
1: to provoke them?
0: Yeah, like it's or almost incite like a, the energy. Yeah, mm-hmm. almost trying to conjure maybe the mana, a, a form yep. of mana, right, mm-hmm. which we'll get into as well. Okay, but what I found so interesting about that is like only seeing some of it just kept this air of mystery to the ritual. It made the whole mythology and like the strength, the energy of the event so much more. Uh, and one yeah. of these gods that was worshipped, worshipped and believed uh, to be manifested in physical form as well was that of Pele. So I think that's probably a good segue.
1: Yeah, definitely. Let's talk Pele, the goddess of the volcano. She's a very well-known legend and that this fire goddess holds a certain power over the islands themselves, their physical objects and their inhabitants. If someone takes something from these places, they seem to become cursed in one way or another. Mm-hmm many, many objects, hundreds of objects are returned to the islands every year with notes of apology, expressing their regret to Pele and asking for forgiveness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So people really do experience this. And it makes me think that these ancient gods and their power are still strong and still reside amongst us. Yeah, And Pele in particular is a very... Oh turbulent individual. She's also known as Pele Honu Amiya, which translates to she who shapes the sacred land. Or also conversely, she's known as Ka Wahini I Honua. Pretty close?
0: Pretty good job. <laughs> I'd say face. that I'd say that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> and this is the woman who devours the land. I think those two descriptions Give a really powerful, it's like the yin and the yang of Pele. She can give and she can take. She can build and she can destroy.
0: Just like the volcano.
1: Depending on her mood.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yes. She's a fickle, a fickle goddess. A
1: fickle goddess. All kidding aside though, there is very, something very, very real linked to this ancient goddess and the landscape. Pele's home is believed to be the crater at the summit of Kilauea which is one of the world's most active volcanoes and is also the focal point of Volcanoes National Park.
0: And I'm pretty sure it's erupting right now. Like, it's still erupting. I think there was in 2018, big one, mm. and it's and it's still continuously going. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's still
1: flowing because there's different types of eruptions. Like, you know, Mount St. Helens back in the 80s was right. very violent. Yeah. And it has to do with how things are pressurized. I don't know the exact... I'm not a geologist, but you know what I mean? Whether things are built up over a long period or whether they're just constantly flowing out kind of thing. But anyways, let's get back to Pele. (laughs) There are many ancient legends of Pele and they often focus on her fiery temper and bursts of jealousy, rage, passion. These are all common features. And this is very apt that she's known as this volcano goddess, right? It's just it's just beautiful it, it just is, works <laughs> it is yeah it's beautiful one of my favorite legends tells of how she was banished from tahiti by her father after she had had a fight with her sister the water goddess and this was actually after pelle had seduced her sister's husband naughty naughty, naughty. naughty. Oh, oh, jinx. so fleeing pelle was gifted a canoe by her brother who was also known as the shark god and she ran slash battled her sister across the Pacific until she reached the shores of the most northern island. That's where she tried to make her home initially, and she used her ooh, which I'm probably mispronouncing. I'm sorry. It's her stick, her digging stick. Gotcha. And basically, she tried to dig herself a home, like almost like a burrow is what I'm imagining. Okay, okay. However, all of her attempts were thwarted by her sister, the water goddess, and she would flood each home that Pele would try to make. So this continued to plague Pele, and every time she t- tried to settle, she'd have to move along, and she ended up moving down the chain of islands from north to south until she reached the big island, where she remains today.
0: Interesting.
1: hmm And I thought that was a beautiful little... Story just to speak to the atolls that are left over, like especially in the north, the very northern island is actually an atoll, which is yeah. basically the crater remnants of an old volcano. Yeah, and so it's very interesting because it's filled with water, and may, people would be more familiar with the Bikini Atoll, hey? Sure, of course. Yeah. But you know, an atoll is just a physical feature of the land. But I thought that was very interesting how they explained it—the water got—it's still it. flooded.
0: It's still flooded to this and day. It still there remains you go. that
1: way. But. These legends also extend beyond the history of the islands, as is clear, right? We're talking about Tahiti, which is not in Hawaii. And this is pretty obvious because the first known peoples to arrive on the Hawaiian islands were ancient mariners of the Pacific. Mm -hmm. These were Polynesians. They were great adventurers. And I think a lot of these legends are, are very, they just illuminate this very rich history that... We know very little about
0: it. Eh? Totally. And we, st- yeah, to- and, and not just like us as, you know, not uh, historians of this region or anything, but just in general, because there's this really interesting thing that happened called the long pause. But mm. before I mention that, it's pretty fascinating to think that, yeah, some of these ancient gods and these traditions and these rituals and stuff are coming from peoples that are from thousands of years before and from thousands of miles away which is just so fascinating so mm-hmm. you know roughly 3400 years ago before the iron age there were people living off the east coast of australia so the solomon islands uh, in that area and they for whatever reason decided to essentially go on a pretty epic uh, adventures and migrations you know uh, this was the the gateway into the Pacific. They brought human civilization to super remote places, the islands of Tonga and Fiji, and eventually to Hawaii. But it they didn't get there right away. These ancient sailors, they crossed more than 2,000 miles of open ocean and colonizing Tonga, Samoa, before getting to Hawaii. But after about 300 years of this island hopping and colonizing the Pacific, there was about 2,000 years called the long pause, like I mentioned a minute ago. And no one really knows why the expansion stopped, which is pretty strange because the official uh, record of the very first settlers in Hawaii doesn't show up until about 400 CE when there were mariners from the Marquesas Islands. So this is, again, is about 2,000 miles away and they traveled to Hawaii's big island in dugout canoes, essentially. Wow. And... Like you said a minute ago with that sort of legend of Pele, there's some legends uh, associated with her and how she got to the islands that's very similar to the original migration to Hawaii, traveling there in a canoe, Mm. you know, battling the waves, which is almost kind of like her sister and flooding the islands and things like that, right? Yeah. Uh, And then, but miraculously making it and establishing themselves 400 CE on the big island. Pretty bizarre. Pretty cool. Pretty cool.
1: I love that. I love how... Myths and legends are in- inextricably intertwined with the histories of peoples.
0: Yeah, and and this is where it gets so visceral because. Pele didn't just travel with these ancient Polynesians and just sort of like stick around in their belief because there was this volcanic activity on the island and in their ritual. There's like very, very specific encounters with the goddess Pele. She is physically manifested.
1: She exactly, she does manifest in a couple of different ways. And there are thousands who have encountered her over the years. And in most of these sightings, or in some cases, visions, even dreams, this fire goddess appears as a very tall, beautiful young woman. Or conversely, as an unattractive, frail, elderly woman, sometimes accompanied by a white dog. Mm -hmm. In other cases, uh, she's said to actually take the form of the white dog herself. And she, of course, like we mentioned, she can take the form of the volcano, the lava that flows through it. Her energies, her mana runs through all of it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, too, because locals will say that Pele takes the form of this elderly woman in order to test people, asking them if they have food or drink to share with her. Those who are generous and share are actually rewarded, while anyone who is greedy or unkind is seemingly punished with either lost possessions, uh, destroyed property, even their home. Yikes. So she can be, again, like I said, she can give and she can take. And it's also said that she can be seen dancing in the smoke as the volcano is about to erupt. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I love that. There is a belief that many of what happens on the islands is indeed part of her wrath and anger. When the landscape is disturbed, not respected, all of these things. So there's going to be some interesting stories about Pele and the curse. But before we get into that, let's just do a little rundown here. Yeah. So couple things. We're talking these ancient gods, these powers. They're really existing seemingly. Right. It's not just ancient past. It's here and now. And these remnants of these ancient curses or gods or anything like that, could we perhaps tie this to one of our favorite legends, which would be the Menahune?
0: Yeah. Hmm.
1: I love that. And we'll, we're going to get into that in a little we'll bit. We'll tell you here. guys
0: who the Menahune are Yeah, in a little bit.
1: We also have this concept of mana that we've talked about and mentioned a couple of times. So that life power that Hawaiians say exists and flows through everything. So there are certain sites in Hawaii that are believed to possess this strong mana. And actually, one of the volcanoes, oh, you're going to help me out with this one, hey? Ooh, uh, Haleakala?
0: Yeah, that sounds right.
1: Haleakala. At the top rim of this volcano, so sitting at the top of the crater there in the island of Maui, this is supposed to be a location of strong mana.
0: Interesting. Very cool.
1: Just one example. There are several, and we'll get into a couple of them as we go along here. But this uh, creation and, and maintenance and and. Tr- what do you call it like transferring of mana Mm -hmm. is an incredibly important concept in hawaii and they say it flows through everything inanimate objects humans everything the animals the plants the flowers everything yeah so this is real energy and how is this harnessed like you know what i mean can this result in some of this bizarre phenomena that we're getting into today no doubt what are your thoughts though
0: the fir- well first thing i want to say uh just on the on the note of mana for people just to maybe have a little more context uh because everyone's heard of easter island and the easter island heads we covered that on our patreon and that was mm-hmm. one of the things that came up in that episode is the idea that there is this life force there is this energy called that is the mana and that's what walked the mawai or the easter island heads from their quarry down to their location out looking across the sea along uh, the edge of the the island. Mm. Same sort of idea here. It's like, just just so to give more context of Actually, what yeah, mana kind of is, because pe- I think people will recognize that.
1: That's a great example. And another thing we can mention too is uh, the kahunas and how they manifest this mana and how there can be good forms and bad forms. Totally. And it was kind of interesting. I looked into it a tiny bit. I'm no expert, but there was this idea that there are two forms of mana and one of them is sexual and one of them is violent. And I kind of thought about that and I was like, that sounds just weird to say just it's sexual. But if you think about it, procreation. So it's a creative force. Gotcha. Yeah. Versus a destructive force with the violence. So right. again, a, another sort of yin and yang sort yeah. of parallel to Pele and yeah. her attitudes and her abilities. Giveth and, like and
0: taketh away. Creates mm-hmm. and destroy.
1: Exactly. Totally. So there's these manas, they work together. So, you know, if you have imbalanced... You know, um, aspects of that, then you can have these malevolent sort of things shining through. And that's why there is this term black magic that applies to some of these rituals and practices of the kahunas. Oh, yes. And we're going to get into all that. But before we do, we've got a quick break for better help. Do you feel there are things holding you back or getting in the way of your personal well being or happiness? Both Andrew and I here at Into the Portal know it's not always easy to ask for help. But luckily, the internet has made it that much easier. Now there is BetterHelp.com that can assist you online with all of your therapy needs. BetterHelp.com has licensed professional counselors who have a broad expertise in areas which may not be available locally. This isn't self-help. This is professional help that can really make a difference in your life. You can connect to a licensed professional in under 24 hours of signing up. You can also send a message to your counselor anytime via call, text, message. It's all up to you, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions around your schedule. BetterHelp.com is not a crisis line. It is licensed counseling with professionals who are specialized in things from depression, anxiety, sleeping issues, trauma, and much more. Better yet, for many, betterhelp.com is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelpHelp.com/portal using discount code PORTAL. P-O-R-T-A-L. Again, That's betterhelp.com to start living a happier and healthier life today.
0: And we're back. So we're going to get into a story now that really speaks to the concept of malevolent energy, or if you believe it, a direct curse from the goddess Pele, because she is indeed a vengeful goddess. We've definitely said that a couple of times. She can both love and hate at the same time, and she does indeed get very, very angry sometimes. The most significant of the legends tied to Pele is that the islands themselves are physically a part of her. So you take an object from her park or one of the islands and you very well may be cursed because of this there's a whole bunch of stories amber said this already Mm -hmm. like hundreds of letters addressed to the goddess pele apologizing for stealing from her because their lives have fallen into disarray there's one particular case that is uh i guess a little more well known than others this guy's sort of told his whole story (laughs) This guy named Timothy Murray, he's quite a character, actually. 1997, he was visiting the Big Island of Hawaii.
1: I like to call him Tourist Tim.
0: Tourist Tim. <laughs> Tourist Timmy taking a tour. Traveling around the big island and his, his whole thing, which like a lot of us, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you listening will be thinking about this, like what's sitting on my bookshelf uh, when we tell this story, Uh-oh. right? because his whole thing was collecting objects and trinkets from the landscape wherever he traveled. So, you know, he'd be on the beach in Fiji and collecting sand and things like that. Like we all do this, right? Mm-hmm. So he was collecting sand, volcanic rocks, seashells, these types of things. And he would, he put all this in a bag. And when his trip was over, things began to get really, really strange. His luck completely changed. He was once a very successful person and always seemed to have really good luck, Mm -hmm. success in relationships, you know, really good job. His overall life was going really well. As soon as he got home from his trip, things began to go into a downward spiral. He essentially, within months, went into financial ruin. His relationship with longtime girlfriend that he had been with for over a decade, as far as I remember from listening to one interview, completely fell apart inexplicably. And apparently he even ended up in a federal penitentiary for some sort of uh, association with white collar money laundering or something that he only adjacently associated with, you know, a a friend of a friend of a friend and ends up getting, uh, you know, getting shafted for it and spending a very brief time in a federal penitentiary.
1: So he was a Cory and Trevor?
0: (laughs) Essentially a Cory and Trevor. He's a bit of a patsy, it seemed. He didn't know what the heck was going on. But only later on, he's, he's back home now, you know, he still has a house, clearly, but he finally was able to connect the dots, because after, as all of these horrible things were happening to him, he was coming home each night, other than when he was arrested, presumably, and essentially looking at these trinkets and treasures that he had brought back, this was like the only solace in his life, was looking at these beautiful objects that he had collected from the big island on his trip. But all of these natural things were a part of the island and not to be taken. He had actually been warned of this earlier when he was there in the backseat of a cab, talking to a native Hawaiian cab driver, telling him about the things he was collecting. And the guy told him, you should probably put those back because things might not work out for you. Hmm. So like I said, he found himself each day staring at this collection, almost like transfixed in a very weird way, as if these objects had some sort of, you know, Power, energy, or something, hmm. and at first it seemed normal. But, like you said, his, with each passing day, his luck and his life seemed to get worse and worse and worse. Side note: It is actually a fact, uh, like a state offense. It's against the law to actually take rocks or sand or any object from a national park or any beach in Hawaii, as far as I know, uh, because it's a finite resource. There's not. unlimited sand there, right? So uh, I kind of wrote this. It's like, maybe uh, Pelé's Hmm. on the state payroll, right? Like that's kind of a good legend for people to, uh, for them to float out there for tourists because they they want people to think that they're cursed.
1: That's actually a good point. Yeah, there's not a lot of parrotfish around there, I guess, hey?
0: Yeah, no. Those are are
1: the sand creators of the oceans.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Apparently not. I I guess not. But this is where it gets really, really strange because Tim is obviously noticing his life has basically gone into this downward spiral. But... It gets even weirder from there. And before he actually realizes what the cause is, this is absolutely bizarre. Because he claimed to be having this reoccurring dream, or nightmare rather, mm. after getting back from his trip to Hawaii. And he had this nightmare every single night. He's basically stuck in one particular spot on one of these Hawaiian islands somewhere. He doesn't know exactly where. But he's being attacked by a Polynesian warrior. And right before it's about to get him, he wakes up.
1: There's like this mm-hmm. chanting
0: and and and, and he's, he's being stalked and attacked by a, by a kahuna or a Hawaiian warrior or something along those lines. And it's at this point that he finally begins to realize that maybe this has something to do with his trip. Maybe these objects that he had brought back are the reason he's having these strange dreams. Because when he had talked to the cab driver, he never took it seriously. But he nearly lost everything because he didn't take it seriously. And he mailed the stuff back. He wrote a letter addressed to Madame Pele, which is very specific. We should say I don't know if we mentioned that before. These letters are addressed to Madame Pele. You have to be extremely polite to to the goddess Mm -hmm. of the volcano. As soon as he wrote this letter and sent it back, his luck turned around. His financial state came back. He got his job back. He ended up in a relationship again. Very very strange. Interesting. On the flip side. Pele isn't always mean or malicious or anything like that. Yeah. She cares a lot about her landscape, but...
1: And the people that respect it.
0: Exactly. On the flip side, there was a really interesting story about an indigenous Hawaiian man, and this is ubiquitous across the island. So many different native Hawaiians have this type of story where they do have this face-to-face encounter Mm -hmm. with a woman that they only later realize was Pele. Yeah. And there was this one uh, instance where uh, a Hawaiian man was about to go out to dinner or go pick up some food. Yeah. He was
1: traveling in his car. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And he was stopped or something like that. And basically he,
1: he, he almost, I think the story went that he almost ran over a woman. And so he stopped, he pulled to the side of the road to see where she was. And when he got out of the car, she wasn't there. She disappeared, and then 10 seconds later, he hears a big crash, and there was a, there was an accident at the intersection just where he should have been. Right. So he should have been in that car accident.
0: Yeah, he had gotten out of the vehicle and spoken to this Hawaiian girl.
1: Or went to speak to her.
0: Yeah, right? and offered she her some food, and then she disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very That's strange. That's a weird one.
1: Why would he pull over and offer her food? <laughs> that kind of ties into the whole idea of, like, you know, if she appears as an old beggarly woman, do give her something. You know right. what I mean? But that's interesting, though. Well, that's for just me. it. He
0: didn't think of it at the time. He's like, yeah. here's this young girl. She's clearly not having a good time. I'm going to offer her some food because I have some in the car. And then later realizes that she had saved him.
1: Yeah, she had. And you know what? Maybe the person in the car on the other side of this whole scenario here, maybe they didn't stop. And so she was like, hmm, you're not going to stop and help me? Well... Car accident for you. Yeah. Like, you
0: know, Ooh. it's
1: very cool. Yeah, very no weird kidding. timing wise, at least that was a very interesting one.
0: So that's sort of the opposite of the idea of, of, of a curse. Like maybe that car crash was somebody who uh, loaded up the back of their car with a bunch of volcanic rocks or something to go, <laughs> to go bring back to pier one imports or whatever. You know <laughs> what I mean? Cause like you can. Buy these because that's one of the strange things. Is like some Hawaiians don't believe in this curse, right? But a lot do. And you can go into different knickknack shops and tourist type things, and you can buy objects that are from the island. But it's almost like when it passes through the hands of 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 an indigenous Hawaiian like making a living or something, maybe that negates the curse. Pele's willing hmm. to let that go a little bit or something like that.
1: or maybe they have another ritual where they can sanctify Ooh, certain things or uh, cleanse them or, or even ask for permission. You know what I mean?
0: Along those same lines of of cleansing or ritual or anything like that, I feel like that's a pretty good segue because curses aside, there are even more mysterious forces at play across the islands. And particularly at Volcanoes National Park, a deathly omen found in the skies, described by witnesses as sentient fireballs. So let's transition into probably the craziest aspect of this episode.
1: hmm These fireballs, whether they're connected to the goddess Pele, ancient black magic, mana run wild... Or perhaps things from out of this world. Ooh. People are seeing these quote unquote sentient balls of light and fire coming from the volcanoes and traveling around the Hawaiian Islands, sometimes even stalking people across the sharp cinder or even across highway stretches.
0: Yeah, chasing cars, all kinds of craziness. Yeah.
1: So anything from tourists to park rangers to the indigenous Hawaiians themselves have seen and encountered these brightly lit balls of fire, sometimes emanating orangish, reddish, sometimes blue,
0: hmm.
1: um, that seem to move around as they please and appear to have a type of intelligence to them. Yeah. It's... a. Uh, witnesses have described them as having this powerful presence, this intention. Seemingly they regard the witness as much as the witness regards them.
0: Yeah, like they're watching each other. Yeah. Strange. Yes.
1: And like we said, they are known to come out of these craters of the volcanoes at Volcanoes National Park. So are they an emanation of Pele? Could they be some kind of godlike reconnaissance, like vehicle yeah. or entity? over the island could it be a manifestation of manna right uh conjured by someone or something Uh, another thought that i have too right off the top of my head is is this connected to the orb phenomena that's so widely reported around the world no kidding is this extraterrestrial is this interdimensional is this just spiritual or is it all of it i don't know we don't know where they come from we don't know what they are But the Hawaiians have their own name for them, correct?
0: Yeah, they do. So they refer to these strange fireballs as akualele. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Mm -hmm. Akualele, which translates to essentially flying god. And that's sort of like I liked that uh, line you used there a second ago, like reconnaissance over the island. That's all when I'm when I was reading a lot of these articles and reports and stuff. That's how it seems. It's Mm -hmm. like it's this this godlike spying on the islands or just like keeping watch out over all of the islands. You know what I mean? They're
1: almost like, what am I saying, like uh, centurions where they're like posted? Yeah, like it's like their job, their mm -hmm. duty.
0: Like they have like a a route and a routine and they have this intelligence and intention to them monitoring people on the islands, maybe specifically those who are messing with the islands. Mm. Some have made the argument that these fireballs are, however, UFOs. We're not going crazy extraterrestrial in this episode, but it is pretty interesting because there's actually a UFO organization in Hawaii called the Akua Lele Research Group. Hmm. And because they're sort of witnessed in a lot of the same ways, like... If you weren't, if we weren't talking about this in the context of Pele and ancient gods and these types of things, my brain immediately went to, you know, like the USOs uh, sighted in Lake Baikal, like balls of light going underneath boats and things like that, or the Min Min lights as another possible example.
1: Another really great one, Charlie Red Star. (laughs) Charlie
0: Red Star. Because Charlie
1: was so regular, he would go on his routes. He'd literally have a route and people could follow it.
0: That is actually really true. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and and Charlie would have looked a lot like this too. He would have mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah. So that so that in, in, again, I guess we could maybe tie that in at the end. I just had a, a little bit of a thought. I'll save it for the end. Talking maybe some some ancient alien stuff here, not the History <laughs> Channel show. But the reality is, is nobody knows exactly what this strange phenomena could be. And on the Big Island, there's some of the locals that believe the fireballs are actually left are, are spirits. They're the spirits of uh. Of souls that are essentially caught in purgatory.
1: Interesting. That
0: are trapped flying around the island and they can't actually cross over to that final final space.
1: My goodness, that makes sense. If you like, we'll get into the A puzz. That would make sense to me, right? But- Let's talk some fireball sightings before we get into that.
0: Okay, let's do that. So whether you think these are spirits of lost souls or a manifestation of godlike energy or maybe even associated with black magic, I'll get into that in a hot sec. Let's go through some sightings here. The first one, uh, these are from across various islands too. So this first one was outside of the Coco Palms Resort on the island of Kauai. One night, a hotel guest couldn't sleep because she heard a baby crying. They decided to investigate, but saw no baby nearby. They did see a fireball dancing on the water in the lagoon in the back of the hotel at Coco Palms. Mm-hmm. They ran back to their room and wanted to take a picture of the fireball, but when they returned, it had disappeared. Ooh. So, a hovering fireball over the lagoon out back of the Coco Palms resort.
1: Okay, and sorry, this is over water then, it's in the lagoon. Could yeah. this be like a Stingy Jack type thing? Ooh, hmm.
0: interesting. Another encounter took place in the courtyard of an Oahu church where uh, Mrs. Puki and several young girls were sitting about when a light came down from above them. The girls were crying because they were afraid. The ball of light bounced and burst into a glimmer of light. Hmm. The informant was Mary Kawina Puki. This was August 28th, 1965.
1: Very curious. Strange.
0: Mm Yet another encounter took place outside of Honolulu. A car with several people was traveling down the road in an old Model T car. Hmm, fancy. Mm -hmm. They saw a fireball and they stopped the car. The older man got out and began swearing. The result was that the fireball broke up into smaller fireballs. The pieces of the fireball became little men called Ipa. The informant's name was Richard Palingawan. Hmm. Mm Hmm. So fun fact, IPA or E apostrophe EPA is a Hawaiian term for mischievous spirit. So that Hmm. is very strange.
1: Oh, that's so cool. It's like a brownie, hey? Yeah. Over in Europe.
0: Totally. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, again, that sort of ties into this idea that it's a a sentient object. It has intention. It has uh, intelligence to it. And there's many other cases that talk about them breaking up into smaller mm-hmm. objects. Once again, that happened with Charlie Redstar. Charlie Red Star broke up into several small, yep. smaller glowing balls that followed things around and mm-hmm. stuff like that as well.
1: It was almost like they would disembark from the main ball and then go about like spread out throughout the landscape and then they would go back together. Yeah.
0: And and for those of you who are new to us that don't know the Charlie Red Star case, go go check that out. I think did we put that on the regular feed or it might just be on our Patreon? We definitely did as a Patreon episode. It was a Manitoba so. UFO case with a friendly glowing UFO. So go check that out on our on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. But the other fun fact about the this last example here is that swearing is actually the best way to fend off these fireballs according to some locals. <laughs> it's almost like I mean, I guess just intimidating. Like you just, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta show disrespect to the fireball, I guess.
1: But that's weird. I know. It's all I, about found, respect I found that
0: so counterintuitive.
1: It's just like, you know, it barks at you. So you bark back. You I guess. you has got the loudest bark wins kind of thing.
0: Well, apparently so.
1: That is really cool. I like how this yeepa. I feel like you, we're mispronouncing it because like whatever I see, like a native Hawaiian person talk, they use their breath. Like, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, no, it's I'm, totally I, that terrible, but it's like yeah. what <laughs> Like kind of like it comes out as like a breath. So I feel like maybe Ipa or something <laughs> like that kind of <laughs> way. Uh, sure. I have no idea, but I just think that's amazing. I have a couple more crazy examples of these fireballs. Yeah. And this first one actually picks up when two men were driving along that same road, Old Pali Road in Honolulu. When they encountered a fireball, the driver stopped the car, got out, started to swear. Okay. So again, that's when the fireball broke up into these smaller balls. And as the witness described, quote, The driver told me that those flaming fragments, fragments sorry had become little mythical men called Iipa, elemental beings, no doubt, end quote. Huh, pretty <laughs> cool, hey? Yeah. In another one I have here... This is kind of like a two-parter, but there was a 17-year-old female uh, who actually saw a fireball hovering over her head at about 50 feet. It spun in flight and then immediately crashed into the ground, and that's all the descriptor we have of right. that one. But I'm assuming either it broke up or just disappeared.
0: If it just dis- outright disappeared, that's that's equally as bizarre.
1: It is. Where is it going?
0: Exactly. Right. And I just had a thought too. Going back to Tim and his strange dreams with the Kahuna and the warriors attacking attacking him, mm-hmm. and then talking about these fireballs and, and how they have this intelligence to them and they're flying around. To me, it's almost like maybe the figures he was seeing in his dream, he sees them manifested as actual ancient Polynesian warriors. And then in real life, outside of dreams, those, maybe that's what these fireballs are. Like they are essentially like, the soldiers still left of the island or whatever, of these mm-hmm. ancient gods going around taking taking a peek, but we see them as fireballs, whereas he saw it as an actual human form mm-hmm. in his dream.
1: Oh yeah, and that even goes back to that conversation uh, we had with the ghost investigator, Stephen, right? Right. And how he described how if you're more in tune with these things, like these these spirits and these uh, beings, like you can see more detail. You can see their true essence as opposed to seeing just like a glow or a dark shadow or um, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. something a little more frightening right that we can't explain right interestingly this same erratic behavior was also witnessed by a man and his wife who happened to spot a large luminous blue fireball that actually almost fell right at their feet and the woman actually went to touch it when it reared up and flew away what is that about?
0: I wish there was more detail to that. You mm. know what I mean? Like, it, w- was there heat? Did she feel heat coming off of it?
1: Oh, that's or, actually or very was it
0: cold coming off of it? You know, like blue flame is hot, but if, like you know, like Did is it? it have does it have a,
1: a strange odor? Hmm. Yeah, you never know because a hmm. lot of these are connected with uh, sulfuric smells. Totally. So we don't get any. Obviously, volcanoes are known for their sulfuric elements and that sort of smell as well. Brimstone. So maybe it's
0: just
1: <laughs> <laughs> fire and brimstone. But could this be? um uh, from like ancient sorcery like you know like uh hawaiians like you were saying andrew they did have some black magic practices yeah uh, and this type of sorcery was outlawed hundreds of years ago yeah. um, as the islands and uh, the inhabitants uh, basically saw it for what it was and and viewed it as like a very nefarious thing that shouldn't be meddled with right And uh, there is a belief that perhaps it's possible to create these fireballs through this type of magic. And it's by summoning, like I said before, these more violent uh, forms of mana and energies and sending them against their enemies, almost akin to voodoo type curses and things like that. Interesting. But perhaps formed through different practices. Right. And of course, this would have been done by a kahuna. So Kahuna is, like we said, he's a specialist. He's a practitioner in traditional Hawaiian fields of medicine and spirituality. And he's learned all of these skills and practices and it's basically passed on from one to another, very much like a mentor type relationship. And these have been variously described as priests, sorcerers, magicians, wizards, ministers, experts, professionals, big men, Um, whether they're male or female, though. Because you can be a female and be a kahuna. So it's almost as if they have like a a, a highly specialized, highly privileged realm or place in society. And right. it's almost akin to like having a PhD.
0: Right. <laughs> PhD in black magic.
1: Exactly. So these are the people that supposedly have the, have the practices and the knowledge to create these types of fireballs. Yeah. Or these akuleles as they're described as. And this was interesting. So, Andrew, you found this in a Fate magazine letter uh, from the early 1960s as to how one might go about creating one of these akuleles. And this was cool. So I'm just going to read this out. It's a quote. The akulele was caused by keeping a bundle or bones of a deceased relative or friend, generally wrapped up in tapa cloth and known as an unihipili. Through prayers and offerings, this object became possessed by an or a return spirit of the deceased, which became an entity to heal relatives and friends or to inflict sickness or death upon enemies. Persons keeping such entities were called sending people. Whether or not they were kahuna um, or experts in this sort of hidden lore, like we said before. Continuing on here, something from the body of a departed one, such as hair or fingernails, could be imbued with spiritual power or manna if it were prayed to, calling on the name of the deceased and sacredly and sec- secretly kept. The kahuna takes one breath, and they cannot breathe after that, and they pray with that one breath, until that thing takes off. It is only then that the kahuna can return to normal functioning and normal breathing.
0: So this is, yeah. So, I mean, so similar when you think about almost like cliche or Hollywood renditions of almost like magic in general or like witchcraft, right? you Mm -hmm. got the bones of something, the the, the hair, the fingernails, or like in voodoo, again, like you have an object from the actual person or whatever it might be. But this is obviously, yeah, like ubiquitous across the world and and heavily believed in. And this practice of creating these fireballs for attacking your enemies – I think would have been like the reason for outlawing the Anahana. Mm
1: -hmm. It was dangerous. It
0: was dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so the sightings nowadays, it's like, well, okay, we've just added another theory or example or whatever. And you can kind of pick which side you're on, but it's like you can either think that they're spirits left in purgatory. They're manifested fireballs. So forget purgatory, but this is like a a real human that's still alive that knows how to practice Anahana. Or maybe we could still try to connect this phenomena to Pele or some more specific ancient gods, because these fireballs seem to have the same home. You know, the concept of a home for these entities Mm -hmm. is shared amongst the locals. And Pele, of course, her home is in the crater of that one particular volcano, right? This was an interesting thing, though, I pulled from one of the men working at the national park, like one of the caretakers. And he says that basically, like, in one of the caves along the cliffs at Volcanoes National Park lives An aqua lele. And that every so often it comes out and flies around. On one occasion, there was a young girl with a group of people who were asked to essentially perform a ritual in the area. And she did so. And while she was chanting and performing this ritual, a bright ball of fire appeared and approached them and their car. And the occupants were so terrified that they basically jumped, like, you know, turned on the engine and sped away with this ball of fire flying right next to them, keeping pace with them, no problem at all. Hmm. Until eventually it veered off and they could see it go back up the side of the mountain and returning to its home in the cave as if it was trying to spook them or that whatever ritual or chant or whatever they were doing wasn't okay with this aqua lele.
1: As if it was trying
0: to get them away from Aww. its home.
1: Or what if it was attracted to them because of the chanting and he was like, I want to come with you. Maybe he's
0: like, come up to the cave. Could be that too. Maybe. But,
1: but I probably wouldn't go up there if I was them. <laughs> right?
0: But it's just, it's 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 very curious. Like, is that... Is that, the, is that the, the all-seeing eye of Pele that's just watching? Or is this an individual manifested entity? So, so strange, because I am definitely not leaning to the UFO angle. As much as the visual might be similar to things that we've talked about in the past, like Out at Lake Baikal or Charlie Red Star, it just doesn't have that, that same solo UFO vibe to it you know what i mean
1: mm-hmm. well because there's more of an explanation and there's more history that and more people of no and and that too and the fact that it exists so concretely in the collective unconscious of hawaiians right, right. it is in stark contrast to somewhere like in manitoba where there isn't a very long history uh, that we're aware of like you know if you speak to the indigenous inhabitants obviously they will have knowledge For from sure. from much further beyond what us settlers would have yeah no i I hear you though because i feel like a lot of what we think of as ufos perhaps like even i'm thinking of skinwalker right and how the history channel has gone ahead and just made that all about ufos and aliens and it doesn't really touch on any of the indigenous uh lore and it, it is kind of that idea, right? Where it's like if people don't have anything else to explain it away with, then maybe the extraterrestrial hypothesis is just the most convenient.
0: Yeah. It seems that way.
1: But there are a lot of other explanations and offerings that we can kinda serve up to you guys here.
0: One of them being I'm going serving up
1: Menahune realness. <laughs> oh God, I knew you were
0: gonna go there with that. <laughs>
1: Like we've mentioned, we brought up these menahune's quite a bit throughout this episode and in other episodes too because we freaking love these little guys. And we did cover them on a full-length episode in our Patreon, so if anyone is curious about that and wants more content, go and check it out over there. But these menahune are basically described as a mythological dwarf people of Hawaiian tradition. They live in the deep forest and in the hidden valleys of the Hawaiian Islands, far away from the human settlements. They are also believed to have been responsible for a lot of the physical structures that are very ancient uh, around Hawaii. And these are places that are known to possess energies that are manna. Yes. One example I'll pull up here is the Ilupo hiao Temple. And this is actually located in uh, Kailua. And this is a heritage temple site that is known for this massive stone platform. It measures about... 140 by 180 feet, which would be like, you know, if you're Canadian, we're talking 55 meters here. Okay. (laughs) And the outer walls are up to 30 feet high. So this is one of the many structures attributed to the Menahune construction and was thought to be abandoned around 1750. Mm -hmm. But today is associated with many stories of high strangeness, including these fireball sightings and night marcher sightings, which I'll get into in a sec. But many ghost investigators and tourists come up to investigate this area as it was once known for human and animal sacrifices. Right. And appears to be a hotspot for paranormal activity. In particular, there is one block that was known as the sacrifice altar. And it is a stone block that has been just friggin' just well worn. It's like a butcher's block, like, you know, like a at a meat shop and it's like you can still you can see the indent it's like the curvature of where they would have laid the victim down to Mm. sacrifice but pretty cool and obviously this is a site to be revered and respected uh one tourist actually learned this the hard way and this was according to rick carroll's hawaii's best spooky tales which is a book published in 1997 and i pulled this from honolulu magazine It says here, a woman who had recently moved to Hawaii from the mainland went on a ghost tour of this temple. Skeptical of the sacredness of the site, she proceeded to stand in the middle of the stone platform, kicking around the rocks. What's the big deal? She asked the rest of the group as her horrified co-workers looked on. It's just a big pile of rocks. Get over it. (laughs) what an idiot sorry
0: yeah dumbass
1: continuing the next day the woman's legs were red and swollen so badly that she couldn't walk her doctor told her that the blood in her legs wasn't circulating and he was not sure why but a hawaiian had a different explanation telling her that the redness and swelling was coming from the spirits that were clinging onto her legs so tightly that they were cutting off the blood circulation (sighs) After returning to the temple with an offering and an apology, her legs returned to a normal state and she never made the mistake of showing disrespect ever again. End quote. That's pretty yeah. spooky, man. Like so there's other things that can happen to you besides just like witnessing a fireball, like you know what I mean. You just have to be
0: respectful, or having something so specific, like physically, like because like Tim was just like, oh, he lost his job, his relationship ended, he wasn't, you know, but he wasn't like, oh, I've my arm fell off, or like I've got, you know, like
1: mm-hmm. it was whatever. a pretty serious situation for her where it was like you need to crack this, like basically right now because yikes, yeah, it was pretty bad. She could have lost the ability to walk, crazy. Mm-hmm. So another thing we'll touch on here just quickly that I thought I just I happened to just stumble upon this, and you know honestly deserves this whole episode but this is another hawaiian aspect to their lore and legends and these marchers of the night and these are up there with the most respected spirits of hawaii including these fireballs that we've mentioned and pele and all sorts of these things but the marchers are said to make their appearance in the night after the blow of a conch shell or so the legends go According to a Haunted Hawaii blog, the Hawaiians believe that spirits return to the places that were familiar to them when they were alive. So these spirits of ancient Hawaiian warriors are these night watchers, marchers, sorry. Gotcha. And they set out at sunset uh, during these particular lunar phases every month. And they march from burial sites along ancient roads to battlefields, Hawaii, so temples, or other sacred sites. And supposedly, gazing upon these spirits can be fatal, too. Could they be the cause of some of these mysterious happenings, like the deaths of the two hikers? Right. No one can say for sure.
0: Because, yeah, that's so, that, yeah, if we're trying to draw some lines to to these events, like, yeah, did, did those first two victims we we talked about off the top witness something like that? That would, make, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think we forgot to mention was the idea that a lot of uh, indigenous Hawaiians that don't think the fireballs are spirits in purgatory or manifested by black magic or whatever, just in general, when you see them, it's a bad omen. So it's like, you better head home or you better watch out. Mm-hmm. It's just bad luck. Very similar to the night marchers.
1: Pretty cool though, hey?
0: I love, I love that.
1: There's a lot going on in Hawaii and we, I feel like we're just... Touching the surface of all of it, right?
0: I think this is just going to be kind of like, yeah, this is uh, (laughs) lit the flame, lit the spark, pun intended, because uh, there's so, yeah, there's so much. There's so much to look into at at Hawaii. Like with legends of Hawaii, like there's hundreds. So we'll definitely have to head back to Hawaii for sure.
1: Volcanic legends of Hawaii. I feel like that should be the... The, the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah,
0: no kidding, right? So, I mean, we're kind of getting down to our, our final thoughts and theories here. And, I mean, I've I've been to, um, like, Honolulu as a very much a tourist, you know, did, like, Diamond Head during the day, those types of, like, hikes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, never... Wasn't podcasting back then, wasn't into weird stuff and, you know, feel like I definitely, definitely missed out. So you and I will have to get back there. One of the things I did definitely hear, though, when I was visiting was this concept of Hawaii being a uh, along these intersecting ley lines and oh. everyone's that's interested in paranormal or you know, talking about finding Atlantis or talking about whatever, all kinds of different yeah. paranormal topics and stuff. Uh, ley lines um, come up. You Stonehenge,
1: know. That's a good Stonehenge, example. the
0: great pyramids, right? The islands of Hawaii, like so many different places. And they are at one of these intersecting points. So some people take that and tie that into whether either the UFO phenomena, like this is like a portal, you know, a place where these, Sentient, ob- sentient objects or living things from either other realms or other worlds are actually like accessing mm. and i mean it is an area of immense power so that kind of makes sense too i mean we're always talking about like with castle hoska could it be the case at castle hoska because of like death and destruction and like thousands of years of like sacrifice and stuff happening there in hawaii yeah. it's kind of like a mix of both we're talking ancient sacrifice we're also talking like intersecting ley lines and just being a weird place of like weird energy.
1: And I always go back to like thinking about the subterranean element of it all and how these are both places that connect to the inner um inner sanctions of the world, of the globe. they these I always I almost think of it as like the primordial soup that's just like just sitting underneath the surface kind of thing. And these weather what whatever's down I'm not saying I'm not talking hollow earth or anything like that, but like I just feel like there are there is a lot of transformative power and energies that reside below the plates of totally. the earth, and they they rise up and perhaps Castle Hoska. That you know what I mean, like the uh, the crevice that opened there was a result of those energies manifesting, or it could it's almost it like chicken and egg kind of thing.
0: I know, right? That's and, the thing. Yeah. If I was to kind of like just give my sort of final theory or idea on this is like I'm 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 sort of going along with with the idea of ley lines here because when I because all these fireball things the idea of Pele is really interesting associated with them and all this stuff but it's so similar to sightings at Baikal sightings at other places I didn't see any cases of aqua lele being seen underwater in Hawaii but I wonder if that's mm. a thing where mm-hmm. they've been seen descending into water or maybe being seen going underneath a boat or something like that because to me I I'm leaning towards the idea that Hawaii, the Big Island especially, is some sort of a gateway, and that whether it's spirits of of people who haven't crossed over or whatever, or whether it's whatever you think it is, it isn't always in our reality. It's coming from somewhere else. It looks like it's coming out of the crater of the volcano, but it's 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 coming from somewhere else, and that is just the crossing over point.
1: Hmm. that's a pretty interesting take i don't know yeah i'm I'm not really i'm kind of all over the map with this i'm very undecided very uh ambivalent i guess would be the word but i i do like that a concept for sure and i do think i don't know yeah we'd have to do some more digging as far as like if people have seen these aculeles like underwater but they do very much seem to be associated with uh less uh less of a hydration type thing and more of a fiery lava type thing you know what i mean no
0: for for sure for sure but i mean like even even the ones like going back again to that Baikal episode it's like a giant flaming ball is like how uh, how i remember it being described but like underwater yeah and it's like okay that shouldn't be on oh. fire under there. That's weird.
1: Yeah, totally. And we've had so many stories where I'm I'm, I'm remembering one off the top of my head right now, and I can't remember where this took place, if it was in Canada or in somewhere in the U.S., but it was the sighting of um, someone who had witnessed a submerged, so a, U, a USO, an unidentified submerged object, and it seemed to come closer to him, and then it broke up into several different objects, and then...
0: So same type of phenomena we talked about today. And I
1: think it was a response to him throwing something into the water, If I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
0: that sounds really Mm -hmm. familiar.
1: Very familiar, but I'm totally misremembering. If anyone out there
0: listening remembers that, hit us up. (laughs) And also just hit us up in like, if we have any listeners in Hawaii, holy moly, would we love to hear from you. That would be so cool. If you've ever witnessed any of this as a tourist or as a local, we really want to know. And just in general, what you guys think of this, what what are these fireballs? Like, are they they residing in the volcano or are they just like continuously living and then summoned to kind of carry out tasks and watching over the island? Or what? We want to know what you guys have to say. Mm-hmm. So hit us up. You can always send us an email into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. You can comment on Facebook. Come join us on Facebook. We love having you guys there. Follow us on Instagram at Into the Portal Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show. If you guys are listening and you enjoy, Smash that subscribe button. Mm-hmm. Leave us a five-star review. We really, really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And... Uh, just
1: really helps those stats, eh? Oh, it, it really helps just us.
0: get the show out there.
1: It does, yeah. It, yeah, it just brings us to a whole new level of visibility, right?
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. As always, thank you so much to our Patreon supporters and our producer, Tim Godby. You guys are amazing. And uh, go, check out, go uh, check out what we do over on Patreon, you guys. Link is in the show notes below. Mm-hmm. And until next time on Into the Portal,
1: your gateway to the bazaar.